Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to Vibe. I've missed you. And I hope that you're into this topic today, because I think it affects all of us. Um, It's not the first time that I've talked about the health of our mouth and how the choices we're making in dentistry and in nutrition that's related to the health of our teeth actually affects the health of our body. And they're more connected than most people imagine. I think they're more connected than most conventional dentists imagine. And so I'm really excited to be introducing Dr. Stephen Lin to you. He comes to us from Australia and he's here on this day that I'm interviewing him. He's actually in LA. He's been doing a lot of TV appearances. He's a TEDx speaker and he's just launched his brand new book, The Dental Diet. And Dr. Lin and I have been chatting because I told him uh, when I heard about his book coming out and contacted him, He's got this background in biomedical science. He's a really good fit for our our topic here of living a higher vibration life. But he is really deep into studying the nutritional basis of dental disease. And I was telling him that I and my former husband both had braces. In fact, I've had them twice. Yeah, so we both had braces and we had four children. And as you know, if you've been following Green Smoothie Girl for a long time, My oldest child was born with some serious health problems in not hospitals, emergency rooms. Um, He was in total free fall. He, he He was diagnosed failure to thrive when he was 15 months old. He had fallen below the fifth percentile for weight, even though he's born at nine pounds and 23 inches and his father's six, four, I'm tall too. And we were in a total crisis and I turned our diet around when my first child was only a year old. And we turned the diet around hardcore because I felt like if I didn't, we were, we were going to lose him. And there were a number of times we almost did lose him. And so I was super motivated. And I did things that most moms aren't willing to do. You know, if you're cruising along with these chronic, but sort of low grade health issues, you might not make the changes that we did, but I made them. And, and I sort of stayed with them for a year or two in total fear because I didn't want any backsliding. I didn't want to be in emergency rooms anymore. I didn't want my son on five courses of liquid steroids in his first year of life guaranteed to stunt his growth. They told me. I'll tell you, those nutritional changes that we made in that first year, I was telling Dr. Lynn, the crazy thing is with two parents, with crappy teeth, with braces on as teenagers, we had four children, none of whom have needed braces. And, you know, we have maintained the nutritional changes, a mostly plant-based diet and almost entirely whole foods diet. Can't tell you that my three adult children are out there eating a whole foods diet. I don't know what all they eat, but they were raised with a diet that is appropriate to develop healthy, strong tissues, bone, and and oral health. And so Dr. Lynn's goal is to help define crooked teeth as a nutritional deficiency. And your average neighborhood dentist isn't going to talk to you about nutrition at all. And he wants you to know, Dr. Lynn does, that it's related to some of the most significant chronic health problems on the planet. So that was a long introduction. Welcome, Dr. Stephen Lynn. Thanks, Robin. It was a great introduction though, but that your story is so powerful. I'm so excited to dig into that one. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Why would, you know, cause we're, we're going to dig into who were some of your early influences, 
you know, I have a long dental saga and we won't take any more time talking about that right now, but I'm sure you're going to talk about the work of Dr. Weston Price and, you know, our, our jaws and teeth are, are declining generation after generation lately. And so it's weird, unusual. You probably don't see it very often that you get worse, worse, worse. And then generation four now of eating processed foods, my children's generation turns it around and has good teeth. What do you think about that? I think that's a very powerful message that every parent needs to know is that we have such an environmental influence over our kids' development. And we've been told a story that the crooked teeth and kind of orthodontic braces are a genetic des- destiny. Well, that has not been that has not been scientifically proven. And so when we think about and when we look at the history of teeth, jaws, uh, you know, human society, so wisdom teeth impactions, it hasn't occurred in in one generation. As soon as we eat the modern diet, we begin to get these problems. So what this means for parents is that a kid that needs braces at you know at ten to twelve, or a, a young adolescent that needs their wisdom teeth out, um, you know at uh, early twenties, that is the same problem of jaw growth. And our kids' jaws aren't growing because we're not feeding them the right thing. And so there is a story in our teeth. And so this is what kind of led me down the road to writing the dental diet is that we've forgotten how to eat to grow and fit 32 human teeth. And there are health problems that connect to this. When our teeth don't have the space to fit, that means our jaw bones themselves haven't grown. That means our airways, by definition, have less space. So we now have an epidemic of kids that can't breathe at night. And we're talking about obstructive sleep apnea and uh, kind of less severe versions of the uh, disease. But so what that is, is that their craniofacial structures don't support breathing. And so when jaws and teeth don't fit, airways don't fit, then you can't breathe. And so if that's not alarming to parents, I don't know what is. And we need to get this message out there that teeth are a symptom of eating the wrong way, but also breathing and functioning the wrong way as well. So getting braces is almost like a rite of passage here in adolescence in North America. And it's pretty weird. I mean, nobody needed braces 100, 200, 500 years ago, right? Well, exactly. So braces really, from what we uh, kind of see them, that only really popped up in the 50s and 60s. It was invented. So metal brackets and the wires that we know, that was a very, very new thing. And that's where the orthodontic industry really kind of stepped up and became what they are today. So we're talking about less than a century. And so braces didn't exist. And so actually the orthodontic industry was much more focused on facial development for a very long time. And right from its inception in the 1700s in France, you know, we had more of a focus on, well, why aren't our jaws and face growing? And how do, you, how do we fix our function, oral function, tongue, lip, breathing? How does that influence growth? And so there were also guys, you know, writing about food as well. You know, a very famous dentist, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the 30s. But all of this was lost. This was lost and we walk into a dental office today, we're told our teeth have crooked teeth and that it's a de- destiny. That's not true. We need to reprogram that because crooked teeth is the biggest health ep- epidemic on the planet. And unless we start to understand this, we're walking down a very dangerous road of you know, our genetic lineage, I think, uh, g- going in a direction that's not uh, you know, healthful. And you know, kids have very uh, you know, we have a lot of kids, for instance, 10% of kids uh, today are on ADHD medicines. Half of those have sleep issues. And so why aren't we looking at the breathing, the structures, 
that help our kids to breathe and sleep the way they're designed to. So what I hear you saying is if your kid needs braces, if your kid has impacted wisdom teeth, if your kid's jaw is too narrow, this isn't just a cosmetic issue. You're saying this has everything to do with his breathing, his ability to sleep, his ADD. Yeah, exactly. So the corpse, so crooked teeth is a symptom of uh, there not being enough space in the jaw bones. And so the best way to kind of, I think, uh, illustrate it is the, when we have a newborn and, uh, you know, the first signals they get for a jaw to start growing is breastfeeding. So a child will actually push the mother's nipple up to their palate, which is soft like wax, and that actually pushes an expansive force out on the, on the maxilla or upper jaw. And so that's what grows uh, their, the dental arch in those first formative months. And so when we move away from breastfeeding, we increase the risk of a, a skinny, high palate or poorly developed uh, you know, facial structures that, that result in crooked teeth. And so these things occur throughout life. So nasal breathing, so a child that breastfeeds learns to breathe through their nose with their tongue to the palate. That's how functionally we need kids to uh, be, be uh, positioning their mouth and jaws. And so if we correct a child's breathing uh, through the nose with their tongue to the roof of the mouth, their teeth will actually straighten naturally because they grow. And so we, we now have a budding model of orthodontics called My Functional Orthodontics that actually teaches a kid's to breathe right, to use their tongue properly, and we get some expansion devices in there depending on uh, you know their function. We check the tongue ties. And so if we can intervene in this growth process, instead of waiting for crooked teeth in the adult dentition and then extracting teeth, which is a travesty, because that by definition takes away airway volume, then we're starting to solve the problems that uh, you know that will lead to long-term uh, sleep, airway, and lots of other conditions as well. Interesting. So let's back up to your story. What, you know, what led you to get off the beaten path? And, you know, it seems to me like it's often the really, really quality dentists who go outside of your dental school training to discover things like the impact of nutrition on oral health and, and more than just your teeth, just the whole shape of your face. And and I wonder, like, did you, were you trained just in the regular schools of dentistry? What's it like there in Australia? Is it about the same as the U.S.? And how'd you, how'd you get off the main track and decide to pursue the nutritional approach? Yeah, so I was conventionally trained. And so, I've, I, as you mentioned, I've got a background in sports nutrition and biomedical science. Uh, but, you know, I got out into the world and kind of realized that there was a lot of sick people out there with sick mouths that I didn't have answers to. So kids with jaws didn't grow, uh, you know, chronic gum disease. Uh, you know, in, we, I was taking the last teeth out of chronically infected mouths in people's 30s and 40s. And that's just, there was no answer there. I just was trained how to take the teeth out and put a denture in. And, you know, this is drastically affecting people's lives. And so tooth decay is the most common chronic disease in kids. And so how are we not, um, you know, approaching these problems differently? So I took some time away from practice. I didn't know I could be a dentist. And I actually was backpacking through Europe and I, in Turkey in a, a, a youth hostel, I actually came across a, um, a traveler's shelf where people left their books. And there was a book there called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price. 
and I'd never heard of it. In seven years of, of university training, I was never told about Western A Price. And so I picked the book up and it was like an eye-opening moment. You know, there was 15,000 photographs. There was talk of how, uh, you know, ancestral diets related to, you know, no tooth decay and these amazing wide dental arches that I don't see. I don't see kids that grow jaws that fit 32 teeth. So I was like, wow, what is this? And I actually dismissed it when I first saw it because I was like, you know, this is obviously outdated. Uh, you know, it wasn't in my university training. I put the book in my backpack and went away. But what I realized is that it kept speaking to me and I went back to it a number of years later and looked at it and realized I didn't understand it. And then there, I found there was a huge story as to why Price's work was lost, why we haven't understood it in a modern dental context, and actually why what he said was was absolutely true and we've actually played out the consequences of doing the opposite of what he said. And so it, it really opened my eyes to a broader bank of research, so human anthropology, vitamin D metabolism, the human microbiome, epigenetics, all of these things have only popped up in the last 20 years and collaborate what Price said. So that was my journey down to writing The Dental Diet, and, and that's what I've tried to bring together in that book, this historical perspective, but also how our mouth tells us how to eat and how it always has throughout history, and that you know we've gone so far away from what our ancestors used to eat and, and you know how to eat for dental health. Dental disease does not occur in any biological system on the planet until we eat a civilized diet, uh, the Industrial Revolution was the turning point of when we see crooked teeth. It happens in one generation. All of these things weren't taught to me. So building out how to eat today to prevent dental disease naturally has been a, a big journey, but it's one that I've really enjoyed because I just think that you know dental health is such a practical and powerful way to change your life, and I really hope that's what the book and the, the programs that we're trying to build for people and parents, you know, that's what ultimately they achieve. Why do you think dental schools don't teach nutrition? You know what? I that, That's a funny one. I, dental schools are very focused on treatment. So it's it's very much, um, you know, I think there's one side that there's a monetary side to it in that the research is driven by companies that are, are funding the next kind of uh, restorative material, the next implant, next. So those kind of things make money. So that's one big push through education institutes. But the other side is we didn't have the scientific understanding until very recently to under, to really kind of underpin how, uh, you know, the, how powerful nutrition can really be for dental growth, tooth decay. You know, the Human Microbiome Project was only 10 years ago. And so it takes 20 years for research like that to establish in clinical practice. So I think there's been two prongs in that there's a monetary aspect to it where treatment makes money and so that's what drives education. But also there's been a, a lack of scientific understanding to really kind of really connect the oral systemic link. And I think we've come to that point now where we have all the research and we need to put it all together. And so I'm hoping that we can kind of you know, get a new generation of dentists out there that can change this conversation. Yeah, I think we have like eight of them in Utah. And we'll put in the show notes, um, a holistic dentist finder that we put together. We called and emailed and snail mailed every single biological dentist in the U S and, um, I was talking, I was talking to Dr. Lynn about this before our, our episode that, you know, there's no, there's no real word for what 
these dentists are doing, but mostly in the US they identify as biological dentists. But it's not like there's some certification you go get that, you know, it's not like dental school will endow you with the title of biological dentist. They don't even recognize that. But, you know, in medicine, they're kind of organizing around the, the concept of functional medicine. And Dr. Lin is really a pioneer out there sort of helping organize other practitioners. And he was telling me that EMTs and people, uh, you know, working with breathing and nutrition and sleep and testing mercury in the body, they all need to be part of coalescing around this catastrophe that's going on in all of our mouths and our jaws. Right. You want to say anything about that? Yeah. The, like what I'll say is that there is a huge budding model of, um, of, of dental practitioners out there that are doing such great work to understand functionally how to heal the oral cavity, how to heal growth, how to guide growth in kids. You know, we are building a multidisciplinary approach now. So for instance, in Los Angeles here, we've got one of the first, uh, tongue-tie surgical courses going on at the moment. I'm actually at the Institute today. And what they're doing is teaching um, practitioners how to diagnose oral restrictions, which is the flapper skin under the tongue, and and actually surgically correct that. Now, that has not been established. It's actually been established in, um, in Brazil as law. So every kid in Brazil needs to, by law, be checked for an oral restriction or a tongue-tie, which is the flapper skin. And so we don't have that in, in the US, Australia, the UK, because we've not been taught that. But what this is, is a, it's a link to how the oral cavity is far more connected to the body uh, and that we have a, a, an interplay in this. And so this is being taught by an ENT. There are sleep physicians. There are myofunctional therapists. Speech therapy is, is a big aspect to this as well. And so there's a whole multidisciplinary approach that can see the oral systemic connection and this is where I hope functional medicine is going to go as well because functional medicine has left dentistry out of the party and it's it's kind of this way societally we put it together. But medicine and dentistry need to come together. And so I think what I've seen is that we have a model here that can click nicely and all of a sudden we've got the answers because the mouth doesn't uh, you know, act as an ind independent factor for the rest of the body and the science is now there and we need to move on with this because people don't want segmented. We, we don't want, you know, treatments that are just, you know, looking at one symptom. We want to make sure that we're addressing the whole body and, you know, really looking to change our health as a whole. Yeah. I want to get into what a good diet is for, you know, having children who have strong jaw, face, teeth, but let's back up because I we we glossed over a couple things. I want to talk about the human microbiome project that you mentioned. But first, back up even a little bit more. Say a little bit more about what what the work of Weston A. Price was about. He was a dentist. He goes stomping around the world and looking in the mouths of all these native people who've never eaten processed food. And and what did he find? Was this back in the fifties? 30s. So he was going through, so he published in 38. Yeah. So this was well, the amazing thing about Western A. Price is the context, right? This was just before World War II. You know, this is a dentist before any of really the kind of industrialized food that we've seen today had this hunch. He was in Cleveland, Ohio, and he said, right, I think people that eat the modern diet, I think they're sick. And he saw kids, for instance, that had tuberculosis. And he'd heard that there were populations that ate you know, the non-industrialized diet and weren't sick. So all of a sudden he decided to stomp around the world as you put it. And that's exactly what he did. So for 10 years, he, he and his wife 
went to nearly every continent on the planet and looked at where the modern diet intercepted traditional cultures. And so what he measured, it was such a multifaceted study. I think it's one of the most important human uh, health books ever written. But what he looked at was he went to a culture, he looked at the people that were still living on the traditional diet they had for thousands of years. He looked at the anthropological history, so the archaeological records. So what did their skulls and teeth um, you know, look like for generations before? He then looked at the populations that had started to eat um, the modern diet. He would give them a dental exam and he would measure their food nutrients. And so what he did was compare the nutrients in their food to the nutrients back home. He collated all that. Oh, and sorry, he also took 15,000 photographs, which are all, you can look them up on the internet if you haven't seen them. And so what he found is in one generation, as soon as we eat the modern diet, we start to get tooth decay. We start to get this degeneration of, of the dental eye, so crooked teeth popped up in one generation. They didn't occur. He, he saw beautiful dental arches that did not require orthodontics that had space behind their wisdom teeth. Like if you look at these, just a quick Google search, you'll see these amazing people with these cheekbones and jaws that are just, I don't see them in dental practice anymore. And that's what was kind of the uh, very confronting moment for me when I, I first saw Price's book. But what he was saying is that, right, there are three nutrients that every society seems to eat that seems to grow jaws. And he really tried to pinpoint into these nutrients. And so he knew vitamin A, vitamin D. Third one he called activator X. Now, he actually died 10 years later without identifying activator X. And so his work was lost. He was discredited for his focal infection theory with root canals and extracting teeth. So that was um, discredited by the American Dental Association. And his name kind of fell out of print. But so 70 years on, his, his work gets reprinted. And then in 2007, Chris Masterjohn undercovered that activated X was actually vitamin K2. So what he was t- talking about was a vitamin that we didn't really even know that existed back in the 30s was key to uh, tooth decay immune systems, uh, jaw and dental growth uh, and, and development. And we now know that K2 works exactly alongside A and D. So when D, when D absorbs calcium, menaquinone 4 and menaquinone 7, which is the chemical name, uh, acts to carry calcium out of your soft tissues, stop you from having heart attacks, and into your bones and teeth. They activate an immune system inside your teeth. So we can be immune to tooth decay if you eat enough vitamin D and enough K2 and A to activate those cells inside your teeth. And this is what Price noticed is that people didn't brush their teeth and toothbrushes weren't invented you know, uh, you know, 50 years ago, he saw people with, uh, you know, plaque filled, you know, kind of slimy green uh, teeth that didn't have tooth decay. And the reason is because they had an immune system and an oral microbiome that protected them. So Western A. Price was, was completely misunderstood. And unfortunately, we've, we didn't have the scientific validation to, uh, you know, to really explain what he observed. And that's what was so important about Price's work is that we yeah. didn't know that, you know, why all of the things he observed were so important. And so that's why we now have the scientific bridge. And that's what I've tried to bring together in the dental diet, that we can explain how we prevent braces, how we prevent uh, tooth decay, because we have immune system. We have an osteo. Uh, immune system that direct that is directed by these nutrients that he talked about that we can scientifically talk about, and so I think 
that bridge has been lost and that we now have that and it's time to have this discussion that he was trying to have with us in the 30s. And you've got to remember as well that antibiotics were being um, invented and kind of mobilized in the, in the 30s and 40s. So here was this guy talking about ancestral skulls and dyes and then we had antibiotics and surgeries and we were like, man, you know, we're going to go down this road. And, you know, that's one thing, but we've, I think we've got to go back to this understanding of, uh, you know, understanding how nutrition impacts both the dental arch and our immunity to tooth decay. So how does our dental development affect our face and the, and the beauty of our face? Because that was the thing that was so remarkable. I mean, you were talking about how these people that, that Price discovered, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't brushed their teeth in their lives They'd never had a cavity there. They had this, this wide, you know, wide cheekbone, what kind of what we think of now is beautiful, but you know, now we're, our faces are all just getting so narrow. Talk a little bit about dental development and, and beauty. Yeah, exactly. And so the amazing thing that Price documented, you know, he just took photographs and he didn't even really define it, but he's like, look at this face and you look at the faces of these people and it sends such, it makes your heart beat. And it's it, our the human body is so interconnected to how we communicate through our, our facial um, muscles, our movements, and when our faces don't develop, it, it takes away somewhat of our of our being because you know our biological messages to a mate is to show that we are you know that we're healthy, that we are passing on good genes or. Um, you know, that we've had a good upbringing. And so faces are designed to do that. And so a smile is probably one of the most, the first things that people kind of look at as being, you know, beautiful. And, but there's a reason for that. So a, a straight, you know, uh, healthy smile is embedded in well-developed jaw bones. So the maxilla and mandible, which are the upper and lower jaw bone, when they're widely developed, you have lovely straight teeth, white teeth. And on the other side of that, so if you look on, if you take, uh, compare ancestral skulls and you look at their big, wide, straight teeth and then you look at a modern skull, you turn them around, on the other side is the airway. And so when you have a big, wide, straight smile, you have a big, wide, straight airway. When you have a, a, a small, cramped, um, kind of uh, squeezed-in smile, you have a small, cramped, squeezed-in airway. And so what this does is send biological messages. And so our cheekbones, this corners of our jaws, our, where our wisdom teeth should be, they are all biological messages of health. And so this is what he was talking about, but he didn't understand. But we now understand how this impacts our, our sleep and very deep neurological processes when we don't breathe right. And so we need to get back to this, uh, you know, this deep understanding of how the body works like this. Yeah. And I want to just mention that even though um, Dr. Lin is heavily influenced by the work of Weston A. Price, and this was all backstory. Now we're going to get into the good stuff about what, what does your diet have to do with all this? You know, I'm sure he's also influenced by, you know, Francis Pottinger and the Pottinger cat study, which taught us even more. And Hal Huggins here in the U.S. paid a heavy, heavy price uh, in terms of his own career um, being maligned by the dental profession. It was, it's, it's interesting the way you put it, Stephen, that, um, you know, we were just on two different tracks. America was falling in love with drugs and surgery and interventions at the same time that price was trying to say, Hey, look at this, you know, boring native diet and what it does for people's, you know, jaws and teeth. And America was busy, you know, falling in love with chemicals and, 
So, you know, like so many geniuses, his work has only started to really be rebirthed by really um, free thinking, brilliant dentists like you. So I really appreciate that you're even having this conversation. And within biological dentistry, you're kind of the guy who's who's really taken up the cause of don't forget the diet. So so what does diet have to do with crooked teeth? Yes. Yeah, so what we need to learn is that the, uh, our, and, you know, Pottinger's cat study, you know, uh, we, we wrote that into chapter six because really we, we need to understand that your, your jaws, craniofacial system are an epigenetic, um, very responsive system. And so every bite you take, every breath you take actually influences how your, your jaws and even teeth um, uh, are structured. So one big thing about this is to understand is that the first principle of dental nutrition is that oxygen is the number one nutrient. And so the way we breathe, so we should be breathing through our nose. And so that delivers nitric oxide, which increases oxygen perfusion. And when we breathe through the mouth, especially for kids, what we do is we increase the risk of uh, high palates and poorly developed dental arches. So function plays a role in, chew, in, in nutrients and chewing. And so getting a kid to breathe right, getting a kid to chew hard foods, getting a kid to posture their uh, tongue to the roof of the mouth and to close their lips is a part of dental nutrition. And so that's one aspect. And so we, obviously breastfeeding is a great model of that. But then, so what Price talked about were, were these three nutrients, the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, and K2, and so he found that every culture had a way of sourcing these nutrients. And so with these three, they are um, found in different forms in, in nature. So you can get them, uh, for instance, there are their, their biological forms in plants which are converted to animal forms. And so he found that uh, societies would be very careful in how they treated their animal products at, to make sure that they had these nutrients because if you have poorly treated uh, animals in, uh, you know, kind of industrially raised uh, grain-fed um, farm stocks, they don't have these nutrients. And so this is what he found even in the 30s. So what Price was drastically saying is that we need to treat our food well or it won't treat us well. So A, D, and K2 uh, only come from a set of nutrient uh, foods, sorry, that if they're treated the right way, then we get them on the plate. And so that's really important. I think sourcing is so important for our foods and we don't understand that you're likely not getting these, these crucial nutrients because what they do is they guide hormonal signals in the body. So in a kid, uh, vitamin D, vitamin K2 will actually guide growth hormone and testosterone, sex hormone balance that, that then guide the jaw and tell the jaw to grow. And so the, this, these kind of messages are drastically lost now um, you know, with problems with sex hormone imbalances, uh, you know, infertility, it's all a flow on from our jaws not growing. But then the third factor is, as you mentioned, the microbiome and the bacteria. We've been told to scrub and brush and disinfect our mouth with mouthwash. Well, actually, bacteria have a, a, a distinct role in protecting us against um, diseases. So tooth decay, gum disease, bad breath, all of those conditions are caused by a loss of probiotic bacteria. And so those probiotic bacteria are, um, you know, basically waiting for us to feed them all those fibrous vegetables, you know, varied fibrous vegetables, uh, prebiotic fibers, um, and removing those, those simple carbohydrates uh, that we get from simple sugars and processed flours that we eat today. And so 
the other factor of this is actually uh, probiotic for fermented foods. So uh, actually replenishing those bugs that protect us. And so we know now that there, that there are species that protect us against tooth decay, gum disease, and so on. We need to replenish that. And so these factors become all very simple when we kind of guide nutrition around the mouth. Um, but then it, every, every time you swallow, you swallow thousands of bacteria in the gut. We know what the gut does uh, in, in terms of connecting to chronic disease. And so why we're going about healing chronic disease through the, um, you know, through understanding it as a as a gut dysfunction rather than putting that together with the mouth is really kind of short-sighted. So I'm hoping that we can kind of reprogram the way we think about food nutrition in that directly relates to our to our mouth and so that we can reprogram how we eat as a whole. Yeah, so I want everybody to get the dental diet and learn more about the specific foods, but What's interesting, I was talking to you about this before the show that, you know, in studying the blue zones, which are the most long living people currently on the planet, um, they eat mostly plants and the few, the ones that do eat any animal products, it's like a couple times a month. And, um, and they're coming from cleaner sources than we, than we have available to us. And, you know, when you, then, you know, another issue I have with people taking a look at the Weston A. Price diet, they were not all, you know, strictly or 90, 95% plant-based, those cultures that had this amazing dental health and they weren't dying of chronic degenerative disease either, by the way, um, ate significant amounts of animal protein back then. And I have my concerns, as I told you, with whether we even have access to animal products that are that clean, um, that don't aren't full of steroids, antibiotics, hormones, you know, that weren't fed, you know, gummy worms you know, I mean, I read, I read a story about, you know, like beef ranchers feeding, feeding their cows gummy worms. So they got them, you know, by the truckload really cheap. And that obviously that's not like what a standard, but you know, it's, that's kind of the level that we're at in terms of how we're treating the animals that we, that we eat. So what do you advocate for in terms of a strong, jaw and teeth. How much of your diet should be dairy products? I mean, we were taught get your vitamin D from dairy products. If you want strong bones and teeth, that's what we were taught. How much of your diet should be meat? How much of your diet should be plants? How much of your diet should be processed food? Yeah. So I have tried to draw up a food pyramid. Uh, well, I have drawn up a food pyramid in the dental diet and what it looks like is the base of it is plants. And so, I mean, that really tells us, you know, that's, you know, the, for the vast majority of what we eat, is that it should be coming from you know a variety, and I think this is really important, you know, because uh, we historically we've eaten a, a, a vast majority, of, and we've actually changed our plant uh, intake as well. It's something like seven species we we we've now reduced our intake of vegetables to. So a variety, and all these different fibers are what create micro microbial diversity. So that's a huge part of understanding you know, how to create a healthy oral environment because you have diverse, ecologically stable bacteria that then go onto your gut. But then, so the next tier up are these, are these um, kind of what I call the, you know, the focus foods. So the foods that contain these fat-soluble nutrients that you don't really get from other, other sources. So that's your, uh, so an animal source, like a well-sourced piece of meat, um, dairy is in there. Now, dairy is a very great picture now and, and 
you know, I try and take people through that in the book in, in that if you are dairy intolerant, you probably need to remove it and at least see how you go. And then there's grades so you can try and introduce ghee if you like. Um, and the reason why I say that is because ghee can be a great source of vitamin A, D, and K2. Okay, so, ghee, ghee, hold on. Uh, G-H-E-E is clarified butter. Tell, tell us a little bit about why ghee is so good. Yeah, so a lot of the problems that people have with um, with dairy is actually so obviously there's lactose intolerance which is what we have in milk um, and in a small amount in yogurt but then the casein proteins this is actually so due to having you know pasteurized homogenized dairy that it's, it's taken away from its natural sources we have proteins that our bodies don't recognize and so ghee is called clarified butter as you said and what that is it's the pure butter fat so they actually scrape all the proteins off you, you kind of boil it. That's what the clarification process is. Scrape all the proteins off and you, you're left with this yellow slab. So, and so that's removed all of the casein uh, proteins and you've got the pure fat. And so if you have a casein intolerance, so if you get a bit of a rash or you feel a bit uh, bloated or um, a little bit sick after dairy, it might be a casein reaction. So certain people, when you're introducing dairy, I suggest trying ghee first because it's got the least amount of these allergic factors. Um, but it's always got to be good, well sourced, and so uh, the, the other, the other, for people that do, uh, you know, tolerate dairy, you know, ghee and butter can be a great addition to a meal. Um, but you know, you've got, to, you've got to know where it's come from. Then the other part of uh, of this tier are fermented foods. So that's your sauerkrauts, your you know, natto if you can get your hands on it. Um, your uh, kombuchas. So these are the live probiotic. Um, foods that unless they're cultured the right way and refrigerated, you don't get these live bugs. And so we need to think about how these three um, groups are sourced and and prepared because otherwise we lose their beneficial factors. So that's something I just try and get through the reader is that you need to understand where your food comes from and how it's reaching your table and, and how you're preparing it even. And so there is a, a variety of ways you can fill these nutrient capabilities. As long as you understand all the different factors to think about, you can do it. But it's about understanding first. If we don't know this, there's no way we can solve the problem. Right. I entirely agree. Well, Green Smoothie Girl is launching a baby site and it's called holisticanswers.com. And I really want to work with Dr. Lin as one of our contributing dentists there. And when you hear this episode, we probably will already be live with holisticdentistanswers.com. We'll have a lot of guest bloggers from among the very best of uh, biological dentistry, what Dr. Lin's calling functional dentistry. I think that's probably the best term for it, honestly, because that's how people stepping outside a standard of care and wanting to look at root cause and help people actually get well are organizing out in, in the medical field. So I like it. I love what you're doing, Stephen. I love your book. It is called The Dental Diet. Make sure you pick it up, everyone. And Stephen, I look forward to working with you more. And thanks for coming to us all the way from across the pond today. And great good luck with your book launch. Thanks, Robin. It was such a pleasure. And thank you for all your work too. So, you know, it's so important we get this information out there. And, you know, there's, I think we can really kind of help people, you know, change their lives for the better. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure. My pleasure.